and welcome back everyone to another edition of Going for Two, presented by Homefield Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here, as almost always, by my colleague and co-host Brian Fisher. Um, weird, weird, uh, weird week today, but but uh, I ho- hopefully, hopefully a good one. I know that like there's a bunch of travel stuff happening in your house. I am in a couple of hours with after you're listening to this here at home. I'm going to Atlanta. Um, our colleagues are kind of all on the road right now too. But but these are these are exciting things, even though it's kind of a, a weird week, right? Yeah, lots lots of travel coming up for for both of us, and uh, yeah, it is kind of a b- bit of a weird week. You know, I, it seems like you know that you you have that Memorial Day, and everybody does kind of take uh, take things a little bit slow. But uh, it seems like a, a little bit slower than, than usual. Usually, we're we're so used to kind of having news dumps to, to deal with on on Friday before Memorial Day or on Memorial Day itself. It's like yeah, uh, you, you kind of think you're you're almost scrambling. But uh, this this year was a quiet one, which uh, which I I certainly appreciate. It was wonderful. Listen, if some news had broken, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked it up. This was, this was the best I had I had gotten at actually not touching my phone for a couple of days. I gardened. It was great. It was great. Um, I, I, I do want to talk, uh, because I know you're not tuning in here to listen to me talk about gardening. If you want to talk about gardening, we'll bring in Mike Felder, who I think what we actually will do in, in a couple of weeks. I was just talking with him a couple of days ago, actually. Um, uh, there's, uh, I, I do want to talk about the closest thing we have to hard football-ish adjacent news. And then I also want to talk about a, a story that uh, Andy and I worked on for the past couple of weeks that published earlier this week about RPIs. The the this is we're we're wrapping up the the major conference spring meeting circuit right now, right? Everyone else did their shindig in Arizona or in North Carolina, and now the SEC is meeting in Destin. You and I are not there. A lot of our compatriots are there right now. Um, is anything happening here besides a bunch of rich people pretending they're not extremely mad at each other? Uh, well, quietly and behind doors this time around, uh, if, if Greg Sankey will have his way. And, and obviously, uh, you know, SEC spring meetings, I think um, really that that is the most public facing of, of the conference meetings. You know, a lot of it is is behind the scenes at, at other. But this is this is an event there in Destin and, and has been for the last couple of years. Obviously, coaches are going to the podium and they're, they're speaking with the media and there's a lot of radio shows that go down there. But uh, yeah, it's um, some interesting times. Some actually some some topical agenda items, you know, like the last couple of years, it's been like selling alcohol in stadiums and, and obviously they're they're back in person this this year uh for the first time in in uh, the last uh, two years so like it, it is a bit, bit of a different vibe down there from from Destin and uh, I think top of mind for everybody beyond the kind of the big sport issues or surrounding the NCAA transformation etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, is probably scheduling um you know, I think that that is the big one for the SEC is to kind of determine how the SEC is, is going to look in the next couple of years. Um, obviously, you know, the, the things are set now, but it's like not only when Oklahoma and Texas join the league, but, um, you know, there, there's some big decisions being made in terms of what the, the schedule itself looks like for the SEC uh, football footprint as they move to ESPN, as they add Texas and Oklahoma into the fold. And, um, you know, really this, this kind of unwieldy league uh, has, has to play some football and, and figure out how to better kind of equip their their members to uh, to travel around the, the conference there. Let me ask you, a stupid question before we, we look and, and talk through a couple of these potential proposals, because I, I've, I've been watching some of the proceedings and, and following along on social media. And of course, everybody is going to put a microphone in front of a coach and ask what kind of football schedule they should play. Eight games, nine games, protected rivalries. My dumb question is, why are we asking these people that? Because isn't that a conversation that happens above their pay grade? Now, maybe I'm sure their AD asks for, for their opinion, but ultimately, that's not something that you know 
Billy Napier should decide, right? Yeah, I don't think in terms of the actual decision making process that uh, the coaches are necessarily too too involved in terms of actually voting and whatnot. But uh, look, these are some of the biggest coaches, some of the biggest names in the sport of college football. So obviously, their 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 opinion is going to get noticed and uh, get discussed, and they are the ones uh, you know getting trotted up in front of the uh, the podium there uh, in in Destin to to actually ask you know get their opinions from from media members. So at least uh, in in terms of the uh, kind of general perception, you know, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit. Uh, overarching, but uh, yeah, this is, this is an AD slash president's type of decision. And honestly, it's really one being made by, by ESPN, uh, <laughs> their, their rights control. This, 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 that is who really is, is driving the bus. And so I think as, as much as you might want to get, uh, you know, Nick Sabian's opinion, who, who has been very insistent on playing nine conference games for a long time now, his position has not changed. Oh, no. I mean, Sabian's know. probably on the more radical end of the spectrum because if, if, if it was up to him, allegedly, according to what he says, he doesn't want to play Louisiana Monroe anymore. He doesn't want to play New Mexico State. He would rather only, you know, all, 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 all bangers only, which is his athletic director were like, no, <laughs> we, 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 we have other obligations with that we, we have to take care of. There's a reason the world works this way. I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody. I, 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 I think it sucks for me to sit here in my basement and be like, mm, these reporters aren't doing a good job. Like I would ask the same question probably, but ultimately their opinion doesn't really matter that much. I mean, unless it's Nick Saban, because we have to transcribe whatever he ever says about anything. Well, that that is certainly true uh, this this time around, uh, given his his recent spat with Jimbo. But uh, everybody's been been well coached on uh, on some of those questions. But but in terms of scheduling, I mean, this is, this is obviously a big deal for for these athletic departments. You know, you got to understand that even the in the SEC, you know, they are dealing with fan attendance, you know, issues and and questions about you know how how bigger the stadiums need to be. You know, obviously Alabama has been very public in terms of you know making sure that uh, that fan experience is is top of the line and fans are staying for those games. You know, I, I mean, you, you go back to those, those Sunbelt foes or those FCS foes in, in the middle of November, like, like there's, there's some empty swaths of, of, of section there at Brian Denny. And, um, yeah. you know, how, how you can combat that is, is having Mississippi state come in, you know, an extra time or, uh, play a Florida, you know, like the, those, those exciting conference games, um, you know, are certainly going to drive not only eyeballs from, from a TV perspective, but, uh, put, put fans in seats and, I think that is going to be a, a overarching decision that uh, the ADs are going to look at and say, in terms of our bottom line, not only is it helping in terms of those media dollars, but getting actual people to, to pay for tickets, uh, you know, getting an extra SEC game on the docket is, is going to be a lot more beneficial for us than paying, really paying millions of dollars now uh, in, in terms of some of these guarantee games uh, where, where you can not only walk kind of that, that cut off of, of your uh, financial outlay, but, uh, you know, bring in some additional revenue. I, I think that is going to be something a lot of the ADs have, have really made a point of saying, you know, look, this is going to be a, a benefit for, for our athletic department overall, getting an extra conference game. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, if you start playing nine conference games, which is what most of the rest of the country does anyway, that doesn't mean that you're never going to play SoCon Saturday ever again. There's just one fewer game in that particular inventory. You're absolutely right. It's a, it's a major financial decision, not just what one, ESPN will be happy about it because they get extra inventory. Although I have been hearing that uh, they are unlikely to give the SEC gigantic new bags of money if they move to a nine game, like at least immediately for a nine game schedule. But it isn't, it's tickets. It's also popcorn and parking spaces and upselling people once they get into the building and getting them to stay there. And that's hard to do. Honestly, if we're, if we're being honest here, it's hard to do regardless of the opponent when it's Alabama in early September or Northern Florida, just because it's so freaking hot. 
that nobody wants to be there at noon, even if it's like a, a good game. They, they'd rather come at, at, at 3.30 or 6.30 or later, um, but, but playing somebody they actually have heard of. Like th this has been one of the, the weird challenges about the SEC. You've probably heard this a couple of times before. Like, I don't think George has been to AM yet. Um, some of you know, if with, in, with the current system of a, a bloated conference with divisions and only one road, like non protected divisional rivalry, you'll go years without playing everybody then. And that makes you feel like it's less of a conference. I understand that it's been communicated to our, our friends in the national media that the SEC is really only meaningfully considering two scheduling options at the moment either staying at eight or going to nine and moving to a three, uh, three, three protected rivalries, which to me is very, is almost indistinguishable from pods, but I understand what that word seems to trigger a lot of coaches and, and, and trigger people, you know, because it seems like a very Reddit thing, um, which it kind of is, but it, it's also not like, but it, anyway, anyway, or, or, or moving to one of those two things. And if I had to make a bet, I think they're probably going to go to nine games, even though I realize that's going to lead to a lot of complaining and not everybody benefits from that, but you got a 16 team league if, just, just to get everybody around and the Mississippi States and the Vanderbilts and the, the South Carolinas, they want Texas too. They, their coaches might not, but Texas fans I'm told spend lots of money. They would like them to come to their campus every once in a while. And, and you know, under this current system, they by the time that Texas actually shows up, not only will your coach have been fired, your AD will have been fired too, because it'll have been like nine years. Nobody stays anyplace that long. Yeah, I, I think the the interesting kind of divide in, in the SEC is, is obviously over between the, the haves, the Alabamas, and the Georgias of the world. They they do want you know the, the extra conference game. Obviously, it means a, a lot to them in terms of increasing their reputation and strength of schedule, and and one that let's face it, they go into most games, uh, you know, kind of having that advantage of, of being yeah. able to win it. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're not as concerned about playing, you know, uh, a Vandy or an old Miss or, uh, you know, a Florida an, an extra time a year because that they know that they have a better than, than average shot. And with potential playoff expansion, you know, on the horizon, it doesn't really penalize them as, as much, especially if you're talking about taking the two, two teams that have the best conference record uh, going to the SEC championship game to where, you know, the divisional structure, which we've seen create uh, some some unique, uh, com, you know, conversations and, and combinations when it comes to the college football playoff uh, mix, you know, with, with non-division winners getting in, like it, it, it's less of a big deal um, when it's just based on, on straight percentage. And so, uh, you know, that that is, you know, kind of one aspect. And then really the other aspect is not just, you know, in terms of that split in terms of moving to eight or nine conference games, but like, Who's, who's going to be your your protected opponent? I think there's some some heavy debate uh, among some SEC schools over who that you know, who who that should be designated as. You know, like if you're talking about uh, you know South Carolina, it probably doesn't matter as much. You know, if, if they're playing Columbia, which is you're know, play, playing uh, Missouri and Columbia and whatnot, and, and having that rivalry. Well, they'll always for some play reason. Missouri and Columbia, folks. Yes, but you know it's like there's like that. There's uh, you know like I don't think they're they're necessarily too uh, too focused on necessarily playing uh, you know some of their you know Kentucky or whatever. But like uh, for you know Vanderbilt, uh, you know like uh, you would think they would want to have Tennessee as, as one of their their designated rivals if it's the one seven split. Tennessee they they might uh, they might they might benefit from from moving to that. But obviously there's that third Saturday in in, uh, in October that uh, they have to worry about. They have. Uh, you know, put a lot into and, and uh, obviously that, that's a terrific rivalry uh, in itself that, that existed long before uh, we, we were talking about 16 teams league. So um, I, it, it's going to be fascinating to see that that kind of discourse play out, not just over over the next uh, week or so, but kind of the, the, the summer, you know, like 
you know, you thought fans are, are sniping on Feinbaum over, uh, you know, non-conference schedules. Like, like I, I just, I, I can't wait until this debate really starts to pick up uh, going forward because there, there are a lot of fans that are going to get uh, a little bit upset. Like, you know, if, if you ask a Florida fan about LSU, I, I'm sure they would say, you know, we, we'd much rather play Auburn, you know, a little bit closer to home. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, the rivalry between LSU, uh, although it has, has been a little bit testy, uh, you know, the last couple of years, um, maybe not the most true ge- geographical uh, rivalry they, they would probably want to have on their jacket. So those type of conversations, I, I think, are going to be uh, a little bit unique to the SEC that uh, probably not not uh, germane to, say, the, the Pac-12 when, when it comes to discussing who, the, who their protective rivals are going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's a bigger deal because everything is a bigger deal when we're talking about SEC football. But I I understand that we I guess we have to talk about this. I don't understand how you could possibly have just one protected rival in one in a league of 16 teams, which is what this is going to be. And two, in a league where <clears throat> the history and level of emotional investment is so high that almost everybody has multiple games that they absolutely want to make sure happens every year. For Florida, right? Yeah, uh you the, the Florida Georgia game has to happen every year, but Florida, Tennessee is still a big deal. It's especially a big deal to people who are a little bit older than us and remember when Tennessee was good, but that is a game that like absolutely matters to both of those, both, both those fan bases. LSU and it, and it matters to t- the TV partners too. you know, the, keep again, yeah. going back to that point, like uh, having Florida, Georgia on, on your calendar every single year, that matters to ESPN as well. And especially so given the, the investment that they've made in the league going forward and, and the fact that they do have to kind of come out of the gate uh, with that new package to where they are putting a, a big emphasis on, on that game of the week uh, that uh, was formerly belonging to CBS. Yep. They, they want those type of games. And Brian, do you remember off the top of your head what has been routinely, and not last year, but like routinely the highest rated, the biggest game of the SEC regular season? Well, that'd probably be the uh, Auburn-Alabama in the, in the it, Iron Bowl. It, it isn't. I mean, it's, it's sometimes the Auburn-Alabama game, but it's also the Alabama-LSU game where, because, True. because LSU oh, yeah. has been better and, and that has had more championship um, uh, you know, the, the potential, right, for, for that, for that yep. particular game. I mean, if Alabama and Georgia played in the regular season more often, I'm sure that would be there too. But now, excuse me, you're ESPN. Do you want to risk neither not? You can't risk not having an Iron Bowl. That would lead to a congressional investigation. But if you're, yeah, if you're the TV partner, you want to risk not having an Alabama LSU game? I mean, maybe Brian Kelly sucks at LSU and they go back to the 80s, but but probably not. That's still going to be a big deal. Even if you replace that with Alabama, Oklahoma, it's not the same thing. Um, and among the eight kind of halves, like there has to be like, yeah, like what I mean, like what, what would be the point of having Texas and Texas A&M in the same conference and having them not play because Texas and Oklahoma were the protected games? That sucks. That's bad for fans. It's bad for television. I will not be gaslit into people pretending that that is a thing that could happen. Although, I mean, I, I guess it could be because people are dumb. But I, it's hard for me to like wrap my arms around that being a legitimate possibility. Either either you, you keep things the same or you have to move to a system where at least two and probably three of those games are protected so you can have some some inventory stability, which would I think would be good for everyone. Well, and, and, and change is always hard in, in college athletics. You know, it's so random, like people just get so dug in on, on the way things have been and uh, more so than in the, in the SEC, because these rivalries have been longstanding for, for decades. And uh, there's there's a, a lot of intrinsic history that, uh, you know, I mean, some of the, the biggest moments in, in all of college football have, have happened in, in some of these rivalry games. And uh, I understand, you know, the, the need to 
um, you know, spice things up. But I, I think at the end of the day, the, the, the three, three, six model is, is probably going to end up, you know, winning out just because it makes more sense. You know, I, I yep. mean, you want to debate if, if you're Arkansas and, and debating whether you, you know, you want to play Texas or you want to keep that LSU game, um, you know, you're still going to end up playing them. Like, like the, the thing, the benefits of that three, six model is, is the rotation does, does happen a, a lot more often. And, and you're right. Just being in a, in a 16 team league. I mean, you go back to when the, the whack was, was 16 teams. There's a reason why they had quote unquote pods, you know, back in the day is, is cause they weren't able to necessarily play everybody uh, across the league. And, well, it led to some some issues certainly yeah, on the schedule. That conference front. also went from northern Louisiana to Hawaii in a time when nobody had actual grown up television money yet, and it did help facilitate the breakup of that conference. Um, but not not exactly apples to apples comparisons here. No, but like the, the like there's just it, it having sixteen teams. I mean, you, you, you it's it's a bit unwieldy, and uh, you know if if you're in and the thing is in, in these these football programs, it's not necessarily going from Louisiana to Hawaii, but uh, you know the, uh, like the the travel issues. If you have a um, you know a, a permanent crossover opponent that's uh, you know a, a bit far flung in in terms of the SEC footprint, not that big of a deal in in terms of of, of college football, given the the charters and and just the the way teams travel nowadays. It, it is definitely less uh, of an issue for a lot of these teams and i, I yeah. think the other thing that you can kind of keep in mind is because all the the rights are being held by, by espn now going forward um you know when, when they eventually take over that that deal in, in a couple of years is is they're going to be able to set more of these kickoff times in advance so not only are you going to be able to have some of these rivalry games you're going to be able to plan a little bit more that means your ticket yeah. sales folks are going to be able to uh you know create some some you know revenue opportunities surrounding these games because you know it's going to be on at at three thirty on on Saturday or or noon, weeks in advance, not not just necessarily uh, kind of the, the six or seven day holds that uh, you you normally get nowadays. So um, you know there's there's a lot of factors in this, but I think at the end of the day, uh, common sense is going to go going to win out, and uh, you're going to see probably the the three six model uh, as as the SEC kind of moves into alignment with with everybody else uh, in terms of playing nine conference games. This is weirdly a source of personal consternation or a thing that I have heard other football coaching staffs take, get, get angry, like weirdly personal about the idea that the big 10 schedule or the PAC 12 schedule is somehow harder um, because they play more conference games and it is not a fair uh, representation or a, you know, to, for, for post for, for the playoff or postseason opportunities. And as, speaking of common sense winning out in a perfect world, we are dealing with an expanded playoff very shortly after the SEC expansion completes. And some of that data points, those data points become moot because if you are a very, very good football team, you will, you'll find a way to get the nine seed either way, which, which would be beneficial. I mean, like the, this, this, this system will definitely suck for that first year when there's only four SEC spots. It means either the SEC is going to get all four or, or, or maybe, maybe none that kind of depending on, on, on how things break. Um, pr- probably not none, but, um, I don't think that that matters. Like, I, I think you have to be kind of a crazy person uh, to to look at the like the Big Ten schedule and think that that's harder because somebody had to play Minnesota an extra time compared to the SEC West. But this will hopefully take away that talking point, and so it's not something that we hear on sports radio for a month uh, in November. Well, I mean, be, because be you're playing that that extra conference game, you are kind of guaranteeing half half the league an extra loss, and so I think that's where we're the consternation comes in between coaches because as much as we can talk about strength of schedule and, and oh, this team played on the road against this team and, and yada, 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 
Uh, you know, the bottom line is when, when you're voting in the top 25, when you're on the selection committee, what's the first thing everybody's going to look at? It, it's that overall record. And, and that drives a lot of the conversation surrounding college football. So, um, you know, I, I think those coaches are uh, maybe half half right in terms of, you know, when you guarantee a lot of teams in your league, you know, that, that extra loss and uh, they're all kind of bunched together um, in, in those standings. I think there, there are some talking points nationally and even regionally that, uh, you know, certainly crop up from time to time about relative strength of, of, of the conference schedule. And uh, when, when you're kind of guaranteeing most of your teams an, an extra win, uh, I think that perception wise, at least plays a, a bit of a part. There is a speak. I, you know, what? I don't have a good segue for this. I was going to say something about common sense prevailing, but we know what that doesn't always happen in college athletics. We know that you bring a bunch of people in the room that they're, that they may complain. Uh, change effective change often happens by gunpoint, the proverbial <laughs> gunpoint, not like actual gunpoint. Right. But uh, it can take a while. One thing that's way easier than trying to get a bunch of uh, football administrators to decide on the scheduling model is buying affordable, comfortable apparel from home field apparel. Uh, our friends have finally um, acquiesced to the internet. They have considered Arizona State. The new collection is wonderful, just as uh, as we had expected. Um, I, I, might, I might actually buy some of this stuff. Um, you know, it's a, it's a cool color. I think the vintage kind of swirly sun uh, that, that it was something I hadn't seen before, that, that, that looked pretty great. Um, and then if you are somebody, you know, an Arizona partisan and you're upset now that Arizona State has all of their stuff on there. Good news. Good news. Arizona is dropping next week. Um, don't tell anybody at Arizona State. I'm a little bit more excited for the Arizona one. Just because, like, it's got the cactus. We, we all, why wouldn't you want to wear a cactus on your shirt? Oh, the, the, the bearded sun, uh, part of that Sun Devil collection. I mean, that, that was that was top, not, top notch fine by the uh, Connor in the, in the home. It's, uh, it's, old it's logos, really good. Know? I lo- I mean I also love the baseball script hoodie the one that just says devils yeah. oh yeah Although, right like one I don't need any more hoodies and it's weird because if I lived in Arizona I wouldn't need any hoodies um, or almost no hoodies um, but maybe may, you know maybe may, may come October I end up I end up grabbing one of those they, it's not just Arizona it's not just Arizona State um, the, we have uh, oh shoot what was the first big news Saturday drop from from the, it was Arkansas. Arkansas Arkansas right my brain's not putting we got Arkansas stuff on there. We have almost every other big name program within the Power Five, uh, many in the G5, many in one AAA, and several within the Division Two and Division Three space. Um, I'm wearing a home field apparel shirt today too because it is laundry day, so I'm wearing the old school vintage extra points logo with with the uh, Saxa, R.I.P. The extra points and the intercollegiate. I'm not supposed to use this logo anymore, but it's still a great shirt. Um, you can buy other extra point shirts on home field apparel uh, as well. When you do that. Use promo code extra points to save 15% off of that first order. If you're some kind of weirdo and you haven't bought anything from these guys, even though you've been shilling it all the time for like six months, if that's you, I'm not judging you. I'm a little judging you. I'm not judging you. Use the promo code. You can save a little bit of scratch on there. And then if you would like to get your school or your conference involved, drop me a note at matt at extrapointsmb.com. I don't, I, I don't think I can... Can't say who yet, but there are, there's a word, there's, I'm hearing rumors, rumors out there on the internet that maybe a conference is, is going to be working with home field apparel or finding a way to work with home field apparel to dig out a couple of, of other old, old school, interesting logos and everything. If that's the kind of thing that you're interested in. Um, also want to just very quickly note that the going for two podcast, uh, reaches over 10,000 downloads a month. It is part of the extra points newsletter, which reaches 10,000 people a day, at least on the free list. 
an audience full of college sports industry insiders, diehard fans, college students, professors, everybody that's very involved in this ecosystem. And we would love to help you reach that audience. You can hit me up at sales at extrapointsmb.com to discuss uh, packages on this podcast and on the Extra Points newsletter. We do have some uh, a little bit of available inventory this summer. I would be happy to enthusiastically shill for your product, not just home field shirts. I, I, I do love home field shirts, and I, I really would chill for those if they weren't giving me money, but they are giving me money. Um, I want to talk to you about something else that has nothing to do with scheduling, and it is very in the weeds. It's, an, it's a very June-ass college sports story, but that is kind of what we specialize in. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the RPI. And, and I don't know if you were around the internet very much on, uh, on Monday when the college baseball bracket was announced, but Brian, I certainly noticed a bunch of people very mad online about the RPI. I, I, I assume you saw some of those things too. Yeah. Shocking that uh, people would get upset over something in, the NCA did, but, uh, you know, in particular the NCAA state fans, uh, you know, I think they were, well, the, the pitchforks were out again, not only were, was I, I that relationship with the NCA kind of on rocky ground, given what happened last year, but, uh, to be left out uh, with their RPI being as high as it was and, and really the talk about RPI and then this baseball season was quite unique. And so I think that, uh, in, in particular kind of added an extra element to selection Sunday for the, uh, uh, the road to Omaha there. Yeah, yeah. I, I listen. I legitimately do feel bad for NC State, and I, I think I've made this joke on this podcast before. But like, I think most fans are, you know, it, are always looking for conspiracies and believe that everybody's out to get them. And you and I have been in this industry enough to know that nobody has the mental capacity to properly execute a conspiracy. Like, no one's out to get you. But I will say. There's a lot of compelling evidence that maybe somebody out there is out to get NC State. Probably not Indianapolis. Might be God. Um, so you know that that's not, that that that's between you and and uh, and your maker, uh, friends of the Wolfpack. But the, not not just them. They got they got a job. The, the other big one was, was with uh, was with the Rutgers, right? Uh, won 44 games, finished second in the Big Ten. Was a by all measures a, a good baseball team, um, like almost every Northern baseball team. Pretty lousy RPI. And, and a big reason for that, as I, I have been told, and I'm, I'm sure our boss can tell us, can't really, they don't have a whole lot of flexibility in scheduling quality midweek opponents when you're in New Jersey, because you can't fly somebody from Texas to come up there, and most of the teams that are around you aren't super great. That's true in the Midwest, too. And for most of college baseball season, the weather sucks. So you got to play like the first three weeks mostly on the road. Which means that if you don't win your conference, or if you don't, do, or if your conference doesn't do well in, in February, there, there really may be nothing you can do. And I don't, I don't think Rutgers, you know, got a whole lot of really high, drew a whole lot of high quality Big Ten baseball teams anyway. So it's it's that that led to a lot of conversation that we saw about why are we still doing this? Because this this metric does seem like it has a lot of flaws. We saw multiple games, baseball games, canceled late in the season because people were worried about protecting their RPI. This doesn't happen in men's and women's basketball because they don't really use the RPI anymore. They use the net, which is a combination of some RPI metrics and also efficiency stats and also strength of schedule. Men's and women's hockey don't completely use the RPI. They use pairwise systems, which is a little bit of a different calculation. Lacrosse has some sport-specific tweaks to the RPI, but but a lot of other sports still do this. And 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 Andy, Andy and I. Um, Andy Wittry, a longtime freelancer who's now about to leave for on, leave us for on three, called a couple bunch of sport administrators. We called a bunch of, of, of quant people. 
Um, it's still being used in a lot of different sports right now. And I haven't talked to a SWA or a sport administrator or a coach that's like, I honestly, I love the RPI for volleyball. I love the RPI for softball. It seems more of, we just haven't been able to figure out something that works out better. Yeah, I, I think in, in particular with, with baseball, I'll, I'll get to the other sports in a second, but like yeah. in particular with baseball, it, it is kind of ironic. I mean, a, a sport so driven by numbers and, and so overanalyzed using numbers, and, and this is kind of where, where they get tripped up. And I, I think it does kind of speak to the, the larger point uh, kind of surrounding the NCAA landscape is that uh, there, there's a lot of teams out there and trying to figure out and compare them and contrast them like it, it can be difficult. And as much as we, I, I give credit to a lot of the, the members on these committees for actually watching the games and tuning in late at night to watch some random Pac-12 baseball game between two teams who might make the field. It's still a lot. And, and there's still only a limited number of hours in the day, especially when you're lo- watching baseball, given how long it takes. So, um, you know, it, they have probably the, the biggest challenge um, in terms of sorting this out. And obviously that's that's why RPI and, and some of these numbers are there designed to kind of help them. But uh, it can also be a bit of a crutch. And I, I think we have had this conversation for forever uh, surrounding the men's basketball committee. Obviously, they, they changed that. They, they went to some some different metrics. And, and I think everybody understands that that has worked out a little bit better. Um, there's there's a little bit more focus on especially those quadrant one wins and, and losses in terms of how you do against the really good teams. Um, you know, maybe, maybe some, some tweaks and changes are, are going to be coming to baseball in, in the near future. I don't anticipate that happening anytime soon, just given everybody's attention is on so many other different things right now. But yeah, um, yeah it, it does kind of speak again to uh, just kind of the changing nature uh, of these committees in terms of what they value. It might be non-conference schedule one, one year. It might be, um, you know, just straight RPI, the other, and, and like having that moving target, I, I think is led to a big sense of frustration amongst uh, administrators, amongst coaches in particular, like, what what are we gaming for? What what are we actually going out there for beyond just to to win every game, which is always always going to be the goal? But like, how are we going to construct this team? How are we going to construct this the schedule to really make sure that that we we get our in in the best position to make the postseason? And because that does change from from year to year, given the composition of all these committees, um, you know that that can be uh, hugely frustrating for for a lot of these coaches. And uh, the, it's just one of those factors that is out of their control. You know, you hear it all the time about coaches. We're only focused on what we control. Well, when it comes to schedule, when it comes to things like this, sometimes they really can't. And I, I think that uh, does lead to a lot of the gripes that we've had this past week from the from the baseball side. Obviously, it happened before that uh, with, with some of the softball programs that got left out of, of the tournament there. Happened in, in lacrosse and, and all volleyball, all the others. There's always yeah. going to be one or two teams that are left out um, that will have you know a, a legitimate reason to complain. And uh, this does kind of speak to kind of the nature of this big loose governing body of the NCA and, and how it kind of determines championships. I have a lot of empathy for the ADs that are on these, the baseball selection committee and the people that are on the softball selection committee, because I don't think they get paid for that. Nope. And it's a lot of work. And if you do it really, really well, people forget that you did it within eight hours. And if you screw up a little bit, they're going to scream at you for years. I don't know. I mean, like we've kind of talked about this before, right? Like it seems like it's a lose, lose sort of thing. And these metrics help, but yeah, it it I don't I mean I I I I've joked about this, and this is kind of a half baked idea, and maybe something that's worth fleshing out more for another story. I almost think it might be better to have those selection committees for these sports made up of people that aren't athletic directors or that don't work for any of these schools. Either you you pay stipends and pay people in D two or D three to do it, or people retired people to do it, or or you remove. Anybody that's like actually in this world 
one, to remove the, the perception of conflict of interest, and two, so other people can actually focus on the gig a little, a little bit better. The other thing, which I also recognize is very much in the weeds, and this was a, re- a reoccurring concern that was raised to me and, and to Andy, too, when we were calling people, is when you are running, say, a softball or a volleyball program in, like, Montana, or in a, another you know, rural part of the country. Your goal is like, I want to make sure that I play as many, excuse me, quasi-local teams as I possibly can. Or if I'm in the Pacific Northwest, or if I'm in Colorado, or so if you're in Colorado, you wanna, you wanna play Colorado State, Air Force, Northern Colorado, you know, any place you can possibly bus, if at all possible. But, and, and that might even be a bigger consideration than maximizing yourself for the postseason because the stuff's expensive. But because of the way the RPI is gamed or tweaked, if you are like an average team in a good mid-major conference or you're somebody that's like not likely to win your kind of one-bid league, you'll have coaches or say like, I recognize that it is financially in my best interest to play you, but I can't do it without hurting my numbers, which now means that the fourth school has to either shout out a guarantee or they get caught into a death spiral. So like scheduling for softball and volleyball and women's lacrosse and these other sports, I had told is way freaking harder than it needs to be and increasingly more expensive than it has to be in part because of people trying to wrap their arms around this metric. And I became a political science major because I'm not good at math. So I cannot sit here and tell you I have calculated the exact formula, but there are impl- there are you know implications here beyond just screwing up a postseason tournament that are important for the entire industry when we continue to use this metric. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, speaking to your point about it being so difficult, I mean, you, you talk with folks that uh, are not even ADs, you know, like uh, even even on some of these committees, it is your assistant ADs, your associate ADs, et cetera, that maybe are in charge of these these various programs. But like, you know, you, you speak to these committee members and they're like, you know, I, I also have to go out to the soccer game and, and, and watch our own soccer game. And if it's, you know, baseball, sometimes, it's, you know, especially in the SEC, you know, you're, yeah. you're meeting with donors, you're, you're glad handing your, you know, you're, you're there for three and three and a half hours, four hours at the ballpark doing your, your kind of normal job duties. And then you have this kind of on top of it. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's been various solutions proposed to like, how, how do we get around to this? And, and you're right. I, I think probably more permanent uh, standing members of, of a committee, uh, maybe you're just rotating fewer people in in and out um, that are athletic directors because let's let's face it, a lot of it is just a, a prestige factor, right? You know, you you do your time on on the the women's soccer committee or or the baseball committee, and then you can kind of move your way up and and prove yourself uh, worthy of maybe going on the men's basketball committee, which is obviously kind of the, the gold standard there, yeah. uh, and, and and put that star on your resume, which. Let's face it, 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 it's a big deal, especially if you're not a, a Power 5 AD and, and you're serving on one of those committees. You, you go into an interview for a bigger job and you say, hey, look, I, I got a lot of press and, and uh, understood a, a lot about the process serving on the men's basketball committee. Like that, that is a huge thing for a lot of administrators out there. So um, I, I think it's it's a, a system that is, is ripe for revamp, but I don't think this is going to be an area that, the, say, the Transformation Committee is, is looking too too closely at, given all that's on their plate coming up. Yeah, you know what? If you have a, If you have a good idea, my email is matt at extrapointsmb.com. If your idea is good, I'll write about it. We'll talk about it here on the air, right? Whether that is moving towards the hockey model where you basically get rid of the committee and just have it, we, we, we hire, someone reads a chart and we can calculate it. We know exactly who's going to get in ahead of time. Maybe that's the move. Maybe you have something different. Maybe you're actually good at math. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I mean, we, we've been no. talking about changes to the committee for, for 
decades now. I mean, I remember not too long ago, but like even the Committee on Infractions, which, uh, you know, is, is obviously dealing with uh, a lot more serious matters than, than say, who, who's making the, the, the cut line on the tournament. But like, uh, you know, adding permanent members to that was was a big step uh, in, in the right direction for the NCA outside members, you know, outside a lot of outside legal counsel that were part of that, the, the Committee on on infractions appeals and whatnot, like there, there's been changes being made to the system that, you know, make a lot of more common sense that uh, you, you think could be brought to other sports. And uh, we'll, we'll see if that ultimately ends up happening. But like I said before, like there's just so much on, on everybody's plate, um, you know, that uh, maybe, maybe tweaking and, and changing these committee structures, probably not the top of mind for, for a lot of folks right now. Uh, no. And, and, and I get it. I, I look, I can see how many people opened up the story about RPI. I, I know what's on the top of y'all's minds <laughs> and, and, and what is it doesn't mean that we're not going to write about it because it's interesting and it's good work, but I get it. Um, speaking of people that I want to talk to, I, I, I want to just very quickly speak this into the universe here before I head out and get ready to pack and get everything ready to go. Um, it's a little, a little bit stressful for me because I've never been in this conference before and it's weird. I never get, I don't want to say, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Like I, I, I'm not intimidated when I'm in, like a football press conference or something. I don't feel intimidated when I'm talking to an athletic director or a coach or an athlete. I've been doing, I've been sports writing for a long time now. I'm not, I'm not really young anymore. And like that world is when I feel comfortable with. I do sometimes feel inadequate or, or, or um, apprehensive when I'm talking to a bunch of academics. And I, I don't know if that's because my mom was an academic and I do not have that transcript and, and do not have that body of work. And even though I can literally write for a living, I'm not doing these same kind of things. So, you know, a little, little bit nervous about this thing, about this, this, this big event here. It's, it's a big collection of, of researchers studying sports management and presenting their papers and, uh, and talking about, you know, you know, goals for the discipline here over the next year. I am, I've reached out to several professors trying to, to interview them on this show and to write about some of their work here for Extra Points. Some of that is about athlete, academic, and, and medical outcomes or mental health. Some of that's about conference realignment. Some of that's about athletic budgets and how people get and spend money. One thing for us to pontificate recklessly. It's another thing for me to talk to uh, somebody who actually does the work. And it's yet another thing to talk to somebody who studies the work and might be able to gut check our hunches or what practitioners are saying with data. I know that professors do listen to this show. So if you're going to be there, my email is matt at extrapointsmb.com. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, and if you know other people who are and might want to talk with me, pass along my contact information. I'll be in Atlanta for a couple of days. I should get back Saturday evening. The goal is to be able to, I don't want to promise that we're going to have a going for two with some, with some of these guests here, but I'm reaching out to several of them. I hope so. If not, you'll, you'll be able to see some of this stuff on Collegiate Sports Connect, which is free uh, in the near future. Um, speaking of free things, this podcast is free, even though the newsletter is not. You can find the podcast, of course, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy it, uh, please tell your friends. Uh, please tell your associates, your colleagues, people that you only kind of know. Help spread the word. Leave nice reviews. They look like Alabama and Texas A&M recruiting classes. That's how we can continue to build this. That's how we can become. Uh, we can get more home fields and make this a more sustainable product. Brian, what else should I plug? Uh, you can always rate and review. And uh, if you're not already subscribed to this here podcast, please do so on uh, whatever platform you, you like it in your podcast. If, if you want to jump on YouTube and 
see our faces uh, made for radio. You know, you're, you're perfectly capable of, of doing that and subscribing on our D1 ticker channel. A lot of, a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, if, if you haven't uh, subscribed for Collegiate Sports Connect and you want to get into this industry, if you want to, if you're studying this industry, uh, like, like a lot of folks that uh, you'll be meeting there at NASA, like, uh, you know, jump on. Uh, I think it's a, we, we've got breakout rooms. We've got the, a lot of videos uh, about the industry. And I think for, for fans that um, maybe are not quite uh, well-versed in terms of like how big, college athletics is this, this whole ecosystem. Like uh, this, this is something that, that a lot of professors are out there, like studying some of the details and in the finer points, much like uh, any, any industry out there, but uh, this, this, the, the sports bent, uh, I think probably doesn't get a, a whole lot of press. And so it'll be interesting to find a, a lot of those conversations uh, that you'll have this weekend in Atlanta and uh, a lot more coming for, for across the D1 ticker family here. That's right. Uh, last quick plug, uh, subscribe to extra points. It's the, the newsletter that, uh, supports this podcast that supports uh, keeps me from having to go get a real job. Publishes Monday through Friday with original reporting, analysis, and other perspectives on the forces that shape college athletics. You can find that, of course, at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, I need to go fill up a suitcase. Uh, Brian, I know you've got some good stuff that you got to do. Everyone, thanks here for spending some time with us. We will see you on the internet again very soon.